Thank you, William. You know, uh, there are many of us uh, that God brought out of drugs and alcohol. Uh, William is one of those. I am one of those. So my brother uh, was one of those. I'll never forget when my brother was converted. Uh, those of you that have been in Columbus maybe for many years, you remember, um, I don't even remember, do you remember what, what year would that have been, Mark? Do you even know? It, uh, David Wilkerson came into town, the man that wrote Crossing the Switchblade, and he did a, a crusade uh, down in the old Civic Center. And uh, my brother was gloriously saved uh, in that uh, crusade. I'll never, never forget that. It was one of the uh, just uh, highest moments in my entire life when uh, he came to know, uh, know the Lord. Uh, well, we uh, continue our sermon series entitled Excelling in Our Love uh, for One Another. And in this series, we are simply working through the one another passages found in the New Testament, uh, which teach us as believers how we are to love one another. Now, in our first lesson, uh, we looked at the three one another passages in Romans 12, which focus on how to practice genuine love for one another within the church. Uh, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Also in verse 10, give preference to one another in honor. And then in verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. In the second lesson, we looked at three more one another passages in Romans chapters 14 and 15, which teach us how to demonstrate a love for one another greater than our differences, especially in those areas where God has given believers freedom uh, to follow the dictates of our own conscience. And as a result, it's inevitable we're going to come to different positions, opinions, and preferences and things like music style or fashion or diet. And we could go on and on, many external external things. Uh, and in uh, chapter uh, 14, verse 13, we read, in light of those differences, let us therefore not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in my brother's way. And then in verse uh, 19, and let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And then as we move to chapter 15, verse 7, we're to accept one another. How? As Christ accepted us uh, to the glory of God, of course, unconditionally. And then last week in the Lord's Supper service, we looked at the last one another passage in the book of Romans, which is chapter 15, verse 14, which emphasizes the competence of love uh, to minister to one another. That verse reads, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able and competent to instruct one another. We saw that goodness is love in action, a love that flows out of one person to do good to another person, a love rooted in, informed by, directed by, shaped by the knowledge of God's Word, which creates a competence to instruct others 
in the right path they should take for their spiritual benefit. Now, this morning we come to lesson four. And in this lesson, we're going to look at the only one another passage in the book of 1 Corinthians. And it is found in the 12th chapter, uh, verse 25. And uh, you see that there in your notes. It reads, there should be no division in the body, referring to the body of Christ, the church. But the members, you and I, should have the same care for one another, the same care for one another. Now, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, you know how much they needed this admonition. Although this was a church that was rich in spiritual gifts, rich in spiritual resources, a church wonderfully blessed by God, the church was also filled with a lot of bickering and divisions fueled by a critical and contentious spirit. Instead of showing care for one another, the various factions were competing with one another to gain control in the church. And so it's important to examine verse 25 in the context of chapter 12. So look at the introduction in your notes. Look at that introduction, that first sentence. Too many believers go to church but sadly never embrace what it means to be the church. And that's our goal. That's our objective. Not just simply to go to church, but it's to what? Be the church. And not be the church just on Sunday, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day of the week. Now, let me just pause right there for a moment. You know, there are many analogies in the New Testament to help us understand what it means to be the church. Uh, the church, for example, is described as the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, we are to love Christ. We are to value Christ. We are to honor Christ above all other things, all other relationships. And we are to be His helpmate to accomplish His work here on earth. The church is also described as a spiritual building or temple to provide a holy residence for God where He can dwell comfortably with us to have His way and to have His will. And I often share with you as believers, yes, God dwells in us, but is He comfortable there? You know, is He comfortable living in your life? Is He comfortable residing in this church? And, of course, that should be our goal, to make Him comfortable as we submit to Him and as we honor Him through our love and through our obedience. Uh, the church is also portrayed as a loving family, a fruitful vine, a bold witness. Now, it's interesting to note that every one of those analogies or metaphors that I just mentioned have an Old Testament equivalent. But there is one analogy that is exclusively reserved for the church, found only in the New Testament, and that is what we come to now. So go back to your notes, that second sentence. Pick up at the second sentence in the introduction. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul uses the human body as an analogy to help us understand how God designed the church to function as the body of Christ on earth. A body with Christ the head the mind, the control center. Believers are the various 
parts of the body with different gifts and functions. And, of course, the Holy Spirit indwells the body to coordinate and empower the diverse members to function in unity. Now, the point of the analogy, hopefully, is just too obvious to miss. You know, you cannot cut off the parts of a body, throw them in a heap, and then tell those disconnected members, hey, pull yourselves together and function. A body, by design, is made up of diverse members with diverse abilities, different abilities, connected and coordinated to function as what? One under the direction of the head. So hopefully, you're beginning to see the significance of verse 25. There should be no division in the body. But the members should have the same care for one another. Now think about this. The body is Christ. Let me just say that again. The body, referring to the church, a true church made up of believers, those who put their faith in Christ. The body is Christ. You cannot separate the head from the parts of the torso. They're one. And that is the beauty of what the gospel has affected in uniting us with Christ and making us one with Him. Therefore, to attack any member of the body is to attack Christ. Sadly, many believers never come to realize that. But it is true. To attack any member of the body is an attack on Christ. To divide the body is to mutilate, cut up the Lord Jesus Christ. And think of this. You know, if I were to say, well, I don't like my hand. And so I just cut it off. Well, cutting off the hand, I'm really what? Only hurting myself, right? It's an act of self-destruction. And this is why there is no greater sin in the body of Christ than disunity, than division. Because it is an attack on Christ himself, and in the end, it is self-destructive to the person causing the division. So we want to look very carefully at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27, the, the larger context in which verse 25 is found. And uh, we want to draw three important uh, lessons. But before we do so, uh, you see there in your notes, uh, I want to define two terms. Uh, that's found in 1 Corinthians 12. Two important terms. The first is the baptism of the Spirit. And this is an area where there's been much confusion in the body of Christ. And I don't want to get into all of that. I just want to state the truth of the Scriptures. And here's what the baptism of the Spirit is, which is referred to uh, in this uh, section that we'll see in a moment. It is the act of God that occurs at conversion. In other words, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, simultaneous with that, 
came the baptism of the Spirit. It's an act of God that occurs at conversion when the believer is placed into the body of Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is the basis for unity in the body of Christ. That's the baptism of the, of the Holy Spirit. Again, God taking that believer, that new believer, placing them, baptizing them, immersing them into the body of Christ, and then indwelling them with the person of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 4 and 6, we read, listen now, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Amen? Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. For you are all children of God. How? Through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism, is not referring to water baptism, but the spirit baptism, have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, a male or female, for all of you are one in Christ. So again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what places the believer into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells in it and it's the basis for unity. That's why we should never develop factions. Uh, we should never have prejudices, distinctions within the body of Christ because we're all equally loved and should be valued uh, immensely. The second term we want to identify is gifts of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, which is basically the subject of 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, we could define it this way. It's not that they're not to be prayed for or earned, these are skills and abilities sovereignly given by God to each member of the body of Christ to be exercised for the common good of the church body. So spiritual gifts are abilities sovereignly given to God, to each and every believer, but given to that believer to exercise it, not to benefit themselves, but to benefit, to build up, to strengthen the body of Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we, I love this, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spirit, verse 7, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. 
Verse 11, it is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone, the Holy Spirit, decides which gift each person should have. So we don't pick our gifts. We don't pick our abilities or functions within the body of Christ. That's a sovereign act of God that He gives for the common good. And then I love Ephesians 4, verse 16. It says, He, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part, that's you, as each part does its own special work, that's you, knowing, exercising your gift for the common good. And then he goes, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, the purpose of the message this morning, of course, is not to do a detailed teaching on spiritual gifts. But I I realize some of you seated here, uh, this may be your first introduction uh, to this uh, subject. So, let me just briefly at least share with you the list of the seven gifts that are mentioned in Romans 12, just to help you begin to get an idea of the types of things we're talking about. In Romans 12, they mention seven gifts, and here they are, and I'll define them for you. The first he mentions is prophecy, and that is a gift that the Spirit sovereignly gives to some believers to publicly proclaim God's Word in order to edify, exhort, and console the body of Christ. A second gift is the gift of service. This is a unique gift that God gives to certain believers to meet the practical needs of others in order to demonstrate the love of Jesus in action. There's the gift of teaching. This is the gift. It is a gift to study and present God's Word in a systematic and understandable way in order to ground the church in God's Word. Then there's the gift of exhortation. This is a gift to come alongside other believers to encourage them to progress in their walk with God through practical steps, practical application of God's Word. There's the gift of giving. This is a gift to provide the financial and material resources needed to accomplish the work of the church. Of course, we're all to give, but there are those unique individuals that have the gift of giving that God gives them typically the ability to make money, knowing He can trust them then to use that money to further the cause of Christ and the work of the church. There's the gift of administration. This is a unique gift to organize and lead people in the church to accomplish specific goals. And then the gift of mercy is the last that's mentioned in Romans 12. And that is a gift to comfort and strengthen those who are emotionally or spiritually suffering, spiritually hurting. Now, there are other gifts that are listed in other portions of Scripture, uh, like uh, 1 Corinthians 12. But what you need to see and this is the important thing, is that the diversity of the gifts, they're like individual uh, puzzle pieces. And when you put them all together, what do you see? Jesus. That's the point. When you put them all together, and they're all functioning in a coordinated, 
harmonious, unified way, you see this beautiful picture of Jesus. And that's why each person in the church family needs to discover and exercise their gift so that we get that complete picture of Jesus to be able to display him to a lost world. Now, how do you discover your spiritual gift? Just very, very quickly. Again, this is not a detailed study. But number one, get informed. You need to learn what the spiritual gifts are. If uh, this is new to you, I can give you a wonderful tool here, something that I've developed myself that I can put in your hands that will help you discern your spiritual gift. And then be open uh, as you consider this. Uh, do not be too quick to zero in on one gift to the exclusion of others. And then get, just get involved. Get busy in ministry and in getting involved in the lives of, of people. And, 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 and see where you sort of find motivation, uh, where you see God using you, sort of where you gravitate. That's a good indicator. And be sensitive. Uh, when you discover your spiritual gift, you'll be able to exercise it with great joy and with great satisfaction. It's like you, you find your niche. And, and it's just a wonderful thing uh, when, when you do. And then be, be sensible. Of course, don't try to force yourself to fit a certain gift if it does not appear to be given to you. And then before I move on, let me just say a quick word about exercising our gifts. Too often in the church family, we think we can only exercise our gift in the context of some church program or organization. No, 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 no. It's, you know, it's not that we can't exercise our gifts in specific programs and ministries of the church, but most of our gifts should be being exercised outside the church, uh, not just on Sundays. See, we, we have this Sunday mentality, again, about going to church. We think this is church. This is not church. It's part of church, corporate worship, and building up one another, studying, learning God's Word. But again, church is what being the body of Christ is walking as Jesus walked to extend his presence in this world, to express his character, execute God's will, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these gifts are not just exercised on Sunday, they're exercised through the week as we reach out to love one another and to love a lost world. Now, move on in your notes and look at the problem in the Corinthian church. And this is going to lead us into this uh, section, verses 12 through 27, uh, and then uh, where we zero in on verse 25, our verse for the day. The problem in the Corinthian church. The Corinthians had developed a distorted perspective that members of the church with certain gifts and functions were more important than others. And let me just pause right there. They, they basically put the focus on the speaking gifts. You know, if you had the gift of prophecy, if you had the gift of teaching, if you had the different cur man, these were the attractive gifts. These were the special gifts. These were the important gifts. And that is a terrible perspective. There's nothing true about that. There's nothing biblical about that. But that's what happened in the church at Corinth. Now, notice the next sentence. As a result, this is what happened. As a result, many who viewed themselves with inferior gifts and functions, like the gift of service, helps, mercy, organization. They believed they were not needed or important, while those with the supposed superior gifts and functions thought they needed no one. 
Don't miss the next sentence. At the root of the problem for both groups was pride and selfishness. Those who saw themselves as inferior became dissatisfied with their place in the church. Envied those they viewed having the superior gifts and functions and became very critical and especially of leadership. Those who saw themselves as superior developed an overestimation of their importance and an insensitivity to other members in the church. What was the result? Division, which cripples the body of Christ. Now, on the back side of your sermon notes, you'll find Paul's correction of the problem, and we'll see three very important truths. Again, I don't have the time to do a detailed expositional uh, teaching of this uh, massive section, but uh, I believe you're going to see the, the heart of the truth that's communicated here, and it's very, very powerful, and it's lessons that we need to all learn. Here's the first one. Here's the first one that Paul drives home to correct this misperception of the Corinth church related to gifts and functions in the church. First, many parts, but one body. Many parts, but one body. In other words, this was the correction for those who seek uniformity and resist diversity in the church. There are so many people, they're uncomfortable with diversity. They're uncomfortable with people who don't look like them or think like them, or dress like them. And so we, we, we tend to gravitate toward wanting uniformity in external matters. And what Paul is saying, hey, there are, there are many parts, and those parts are very, very diverse. And, and you, you don't want to resist that diversity. You want to embrace that di- di- diversity. Uh, look at, let's just read these verses. Verses 12 13 and 14. Verse 12, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. Bottom line, here it is. You cannot have harmony without diversity. Just a fact. I mean, think of producing harmony in music. Beautiful music we had uh, just moments ago. You cannot have harmony when everyone is singing in unison. Harmony is produced by what? Blending different notes to produce beautiful chords that create a pleasing effect. See, diversity is God's gift to the church to create a beautiful harmony that will attract a lost world that is starved for meaningful relationships. The gospel provides the answer not only to our reconciliation with God, but our reconciliation with others across racial lines, across social lines, economic lines, and that should be demonstrated in the church in a most beautiful, beautiful way. Look at the second truth that he drives home to correct the church of Corinth. Many parts, but each important. 
many, many parts, but each important. See, this is the correction for those who feel inferior and not part of the church. These are the folks that they say, they just don't need me. Look at verse 15. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, well, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Now, he gets a little humorous now. Matter of fact, I, I thought after the fact, and I almost kicked myself. This would have been a beautiful thing to give our uh, youth media team with Jonathan. Uh, they could have probably developed a really cool video to illustrate this that would have been humorous. I mean, think about this. If the whole body were an eye, can you imagine that for a moment? Just a big eye. It is a little humorous, isn't it? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where He wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. See, what you need to see if you're struggling with the gift and the function God has given you, and I say this very gently, I say this very tenderly, but it, 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 it brings you to where you need to be. To be, satisf- to be dissatisfied, to become discontent with your spiritual gift or the place of service that you have in the church is actually a direct criticism of God because it, it's God that makes those determinations. It's God that sovereignly gives us the gifts and places in the church in that place of function to exercise our gifts. And then, and then listen, beloved, listen very, very carefully. As your pastor, I am no more important than any other member of this church. A church member exercising their gift of service right now down in the nursery or one of these men that exercise their gift of service as an usher today or maybe a, a shut-in who can't even come to church but loves this church and regularly prays for this church. Those are all valuable, as valuable as I am, as important as I am. See, there is no pecking order in the church. We only have one head, and that's Jesus. That's it. Pecking order stops right there. He's the head. He's the, we're just parts of the torso. We're just parts of the body that he's determined for the good of the body. Look at the third truth. So, many parts, but one body, many parts, each important, many parts, all interdependent. All interdependent. Now, this is the correction for those who feel superior, as if they don't need the other church members. Uh, Where the first group said, they don't need me, this group says, I don't need them. You know, they think they're special. Uh, sort of the Lone Ranger Christian, you know, they, they're on top of everything. They, everything's put together. 
Well, there's just no truth to that in reality. Look at, look at verse 21. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You see the, how obviously absurd it would be to take that position? And just as absurd in the body of Christ for us to say we don't need one another. In fact, verse 22, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. I mean, think of our internal organs. I mean, they're, they, that, that what? You never think about, you know, I don't, I don't go around thinking about my liver or my kidneys or my lungs. But folks, let a problem occur there. And what? It affects me. It affects me. All of me. All of me. And, and that's the right. there are so many parts of our body that we never even give a thought to. I mean, I couldn't even stand up here and preach if I didn't have two big toes. I wouldn't be able to balance myself. I could not stand upright. I never think, and my big toes are ugly. Matter of fact, my, my, my children, great, I, I, had a, I had an injury to one of them, and the toenail was ripped off, and it never grew back. And it's the ugliest thing in the whole world. And, my, and every time my children, grandchildren see it, it's like, ah! But I'm so thankful for that big toe right there. I, I can balance. I can stand. And without it, I would not be able to. So pick up it, uh, that uh, second sentence in verse 24. So God has put the, notice this emphasis. So God has put the body together. Such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members, what? Care for one another. There it is. Care for one another. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Man, what a beautiful lesson today. And just to sum it up, here it is. Number one, you can't have unity and harmony without diversity. Therefore, don't resist diversity in this body. Embrace it. Turn away from your cliques. Turn away from any factions. And embrace one another unconditionally. Number two, all are important in the body of Christ. You are important, number one, because through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Jesus gave you the gift of worth. You are valuable. You are valuable to Jesus, to God, to you are valuable to this church. And you're not only been given the gift of worth, you've been given a spiritual gift to exercise in the body of Christ for the good of this church family. And then number three, we are dependent on one another. And folks, if, I'm do, if we're dependent on one another, then you understand the verse for today. It's obvious we should what? Take care of one another. And that's the truth of the message today. And again, as I shared with you when we began this series, the reason I was so excited about this series 
is that it does provide me the opportunity to express uh, commendation to this church family uh, on your love for one another, your care for one another. I do see that each and every day, but as I also shared the purpose of this message, we want to increase what? Even more. We want to excel. Uh, when we begin to see some of these uh, Corinthian attitudes that we talked about, we can't let those continue. You need to get on top of that immediately in your own life and lovingly in the lives of others that we develop harmony and unity and a church that truly cares for one another where everyone is important, everyone embracing their gift, everyone embracing their function with contentment because Jesus is the head and he knows what best. Amen. The one who loves us most knows what is best for us. And he knows the gift and the function and the place we should have in the body of Christ. As we extend the invitation today, I just trust you'll be reflecting on this truth. And uh, where God has spoken, uh, respond. Where God has convicted uh, you, maybe in an attitude that's uh, not wholesome for the church family, acknowledge that. Turn away from it. Uh, to embrace diversity, and in that diversity, to move forward towards harmony and unity, to value everyone, to care uh, for everyone. Uh, I trust that God may be with some of you. He's laid an individual on your heart uh, that you need to reach out to, uh, to show care for. Uh, somebody may be in the church family that you know right now that's hurting, that would need you just to know you love them, you care for them, you're praying for them, There should be that openness and that transparency within the church uh, family. And, of course, I'll be here to receive anyone that has a, uh, uh, would like to make a public profession of faith. If you've recently come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior through the ministry of those in this church, or if you've been visiting and you desire to be a part of this church family, we would invite you to come and acknowledge that desire to us and we'd help you begin to go down that process uh, to full full membership. So please stand as the invitation is extended and uh, just be obedient to God and let's praise Him, worship Him together.